Hey, it's Melissa Rivers, and welcome to Group Text. Stay tuned for a new episode. Hey, everyone. Welcome to Group Text. Uh, Mental Health Awareness Month, May. I am, as many of you know, a mental health advocate and a big advocate for suicide prevention. So I'm very excited about who we have with us today to discuss mental health, whole person health, meditation, and uh, how to take the next step, especially coming out of this crazy time. We've had joining us Dr. John Goldfinger, CEO of D.D. Hirsch, Whole Person Mental Health and Suicide Prevention, of which I am a board member. So pretty much this was an easy booking. He had no choice. And also joining us from Headspace, Eve Lewis, the Director of Meditation. We love Headspace. Hey, Eve. Hi. <laughs> Excited to have a, a Headspace person back with us. We've, we've loved having some of your coworkers on before. But uh, let's get right to it. John, May is Mental Health Awareness Month, and we are coming out of the pandemic. Are people starting to feel a little bit better? Yes, they are. If you've heard from your friends, family, you know, they may feel a little bit uh, agoraphobic or afraid to re-enter with so many people in an area where they're walking, uh, or even maybe a little afraid to take off their mask. But overall, you'll hear what is actually reflected in the CDC data showing that symptoms of anxiety and depression appear to be kind of on the downward trend, which is very reassuring. You know, we've talked a lot about kids and young adults through the whole pandemic because there was an alarming uptick in mental health issues and suicide ideology and things like that with men, with uh, young kids and young adults. Do you think, I mean, we've seen numbers going through the roof. Are they plateauing? Do we think this is going to be an ongoing trend for kids and young adults? What, what, as the expert, what are you saying? And you are a former pediatrician, so this is really your wheelhouse. Yeah, I still think of myself as a pediatrician. I don't know if, you, if it ever leaves you. You know, I, I took the oath to serve children and families, but of course, with D.D. Hirsch, we really focus on the whole person, whole family mental health care. Um, the answer is the data is a little bit conflicting. There is very clear evidence that the United States in 2020 had near 90,000 deaths from overdose, which some people refer to as a form of death of despair. Maybe the people did not want to die by suicide, but maybe they didn't want to live. And there are probably a, a whole host of suicides buried in that number. Our data is not sophisticated enough. And suicide rates overall were actually lower during the pandemic, but as you noted, significantly higher in youth, in our BIPOC and our LGBTQ communities. And so we are really still trying to tease out the data, but what we know about trauma, whether it's financial insecurity in a family, being ripped from friends, teachers, other adults in our lives who are buffers of what we call toxic stress that really affects the developing uh, brains and minds of young children, we know those kinds of traumas actually last well later in life and can manifest. And so we don't, most experts believe we don't uh, see the full uh, tip of the iceberg yet even. And there's a good chance that mental illness, substance use, suicide and overdose will increase 
in young people over time. And thankfully, many communities, many experts, and even many policymakers are mobilizing to try to bolster our communities to, to prevent that from happening. Eve, you're nodding your head. Headspace has been booming through the pandemic. It was already becoming extremely popular before. What have you, what trends have you seen towards meditation? Because all I'm hearing from everybody is meditate, 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 breathe your way through it. John offline admitted that he, or not admitted, uh, oh. that he had to meditate I'm his proud. way through uh <laughs> He's proud of it through his Dee Dee Hirsch interviews, which, like I said, probably a board member shouldn't hear. But his point was, we should hear it. Um, what have I mean, I know that you guys also have had a major focus on kids and young adults. What have you been seeing? Yeah, I mean, you know, there's no denying this. This past year has been incredibly challenging. And, you know, some of the you know, the, the numbers that John was talking about, but even before the pandemic, you know, life. Is, is not easy uh, and stress and anxiety uh, is something that is just part of being human, right? Uh, and so this past year in particular, yes, we have seen a huge increase in people looking for support and services to help with their, their mental health. Um, I think something that has really helped to support uh, practices such as meditation and mindfulness is that there is now a really huge growing body of science research to show the efficacy behind these practices. You know, Headspace didn't invent meditation. And as you know, Andy spent, you know, over 10 years training in some of, you know, the greatest Buddhist centers in, in the world. And so really our, our mission has is, is, is always been about improving the health and happiness of the world. And it's why Andy, you know, left the monastery life to come back to help People like you and me understand our own minds and the complexities of, of being of being human. Uh, and so this year in particular, yes, we've seen a lot of uh, folks across the board, actually, um, in particular parents who have had a really, really tough time um, this past year. And we've, we've seen a lot of increase in our content around helping to manage stress and anxiety. Um, we have a, a big kids section in, in the app as well. Um, a lot of content there is being used, you know, to help around the bedtime routine. Uh, you know, I, I think uh, just because, you know, we go to bed at night, we don't, unfortunately, our worries don't just suddenly go to sleep as well. Um, and it's also why we've, um, you know, partnered with Netflix and, and Vox Media Studios with, with two programs a series, the Headspace Guide to Meditation and, and the Headspace Guide to Sleep, for the very reason that people are looking for help. Uh, and I'm so pleased to see that now, um, you know, mental health is being talked about as being as important as our physical health. Uh, and, you know, our, our mind, the mind-body connection is, is so, so important. Um, and the reason sleep in particular has been a big focus for us is because Often when we are experiencing difficulties, whether that's heightened levels of stress, anxiety, loneliness, depression, it has a significant impact on our sleep, which in turn has a significant impact on our health. Uh, and you're be you know, less able to, uh, to manage uh, and cope during times of difficulty. Eve, are you the voice on some of those episodes? Because I think I fell asleep to your voice last night. <laughs> <laughs> I am Sabrina. Yeah. So I thought I... so. I thought 
So. I didn't know you guys were sleeping together. We are. <laughs> That's so cute. I feel like I'm on love connection or something. Does Curtis know? Well, no, because I mean, it was just my moment. <laughs> I, I was going to say, I was going to say the same thing. I figured we lost my wife everyone for a second. Yeah. Yes, um, I narrate. So, I narrate the series. Yeah, thanks, Sabrina. <laughs> oh, it, it was wonderful. It was wonderful. One of the things that's that's been very interesting, and especially being a board member of Dee Dee Hirsch, is we are now acknowledging mental health as something that we can talk about. And um, one of the things, and I think it really folds into Headspace as well as mental health professionals, and especially us at Dee Dee Hirsch is the idea of getting mental health in the conversation when speaking of whole health. And Eve, you referenced that. John, I know we're switching at Dee Dee Hirsch from erasing the stigma, which is sort of everybody's first campaign. The pandemic has really, I think, erased the stigma. I think it's one of the upshots of it, uh, of discussing mental health and discussing it younger and younger. How is this becoming a whole health mission? It's a great question. So this is actually our 25th anniversary since we started a movement to erase the stigma of mental illness by helping, really honoring those who helped others by coming out of the shadows and sharing their stories. And it turns out that today, so many people can actually talk about mental health. You hear celebrities, you hear news anchors, policymakers, because of that incredible work in the first, if you will, leg of the movement. But there's another leg, there's another phase uh, or another hill to climb that hasn't been addressed, which is 100% or so of Americans can access care for a physical health need, cancer, heart disease. But if it's a mental health need, it's only 40% can access care. If it's a substance use need or a mental health crisis or suicidal crisis, it's only 10% can access care. So there's a tremendous amount of discrimination essentially baked into the healthcare system. And we've got to uproot that and tell healthcare that, and our policymakers who regulate healthcare, that mental health is not less than. It's not only just as important as uh, physical health, but as Eve was saying, the mind and body are inseparable. You can't tease out and you can't really succeed in treating one versus the other. So we are flipping the script this year. And instead of calling it erasing the stigma, we are creating what we call the mental health is health experience to launch a movement that really ensures universal access to mental health care by helping everyone feel, experience that mind-body connection. And we're honored that Headspace is going to be one of our 2021 mental health is health ambassadors. They'll be part of the program. We're honored that Selena Gomez and Bibi Rexa Two others who have really been champions of the mind-body connection and focused on the inseparable nature of mental and physical health will also be ambassadors alongside Eve and Headspace. And so we see this as the inaugural way to relaunch or reboot a movement for universal access to mental health care. Eve, you guys obviously have been one of the leaders and the fact that you have actual programming on Netflix, how hard did you have to fight to get something like that on a, a on a Netflix or on a Fox or any of it, because selling anything is difficult. <laughs> 
Well, uh, I can I can speak to you know from what I've learned, I think you've met Morgan Selzer, who's the um, uh, you know head of our programming here at, at Headspace. I actually don't believe it was a, a lot of a fight. Actually, you know, uh, as as John was saying, you know, um, the fact that you know, we are able to have these conversations around our mental health, around the struggles that we have in as human beings. I think it's becoming more of a norm now, you know, and our partners at Netflix and Vox Media Studios, they're human beings as well. And they they all struggle through, you know, challenges in, in life. And it, I, I think these conversations came at the right time. They came at a time when there was a lot of awareness uh, around, the, the, the challenges and struggles that we're having, even, as I said, before the pandemic. Uh, and, you know, what's different about this show, which was I personally was so excited about, is, you know, it's it's part entertainment. It is part educational, inform, you know, informative. But there's also an interactive part of this. You know, we're actually asking the audience to participate. You know, I sent Sabrina to sleep last night, uh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> which is is as far as I'm aware, I don't think it's really been done before. So we're actually trying to put into practice what in the case of the sleep series I talk about in the case of the meditation series, Andy talks about there and then in the moment, like it's not a, Hey, maybe try this. It's like, let's do this together now and to really, really normalize it. And I think to have a partnership with, with a huge platform such as Netflix, who is really, really open and, and willing to have these conversations is is amazing and, and to John's point it's the next stage in this movement around putting our mental health as a major major priority yeah it really takes out the you know it being a taboo you know where people were yeah. so you know shying away from you know the topics and it's it's becoming more mainstream and okay and people feel you know, like it's it's not something that they need to stay in the shadows. So I, I think it's marvelous and we do need to continue to advocate more than ever. But how are we maintaining some of these rituals now that we're going back into some sort of normal stream of, you know, interactions with one another? Because a lot of times you get so stressed, you're just like, forget it. I'm gonna put the pillow over my head. I'm done for the day. I like to hide under my desk or under my bed. Those are my places. Sometimes in the closet with all the doors shut and the lights out. But that's a separate conversation. <laughs> that's for Dr. May, my therapist. <laughs> well, I mean, I'm going to take this as a, as a question for me. I, I, I think this is actually where, um, you know, I always say to people, just because you're feeling maybe, you know, if things are returning to normal, and as John said, you know, maybe those feelings of anxiety and stress are feeling a little less. Actually, the most important time to take care of your mental health is, is now. It, it is when we're in this period where we actually are maybe feeling a bit better, have a bit more space to, to recognize that these are, are tools that could be, could be helpful to us. You know, I, my teacher always said to me, um, Andy, you know, the most important time to, to practice is actually when you think you don't need it. Um, because, and I've, I've very personally experienced this, experienced this myself. Often when I'm, you know, if I'm meditating on a day where things feel okay, the mind is kind of calm-ish, you know, nothing unusual. Um, you know, I may not feel wholly different, but it's when, say, something really difficult happens or challenging, I'm faced with a very stressful event. Oh boy, that's when those skills come into play. 
that is when that muscle of awareness and, and those skills of and those qualities of bringing in awareness to how you're feeling in the body, that mind-body connection, how am I behaving? What am I doing to, to, to either support or, um, you know, be unhelpful to, to myself or others? So I think it's, uh, you know, and I, I see practices like meditation and mindfulness not as a, a chore and, a, and an extra thing that we have to do. It's like you're investing in your own mental health. Uh, and so, you know, I, you know, I, I think also don't, don't put this huge pressure on yourself that you have to sort of spend an hour a day doing these things, you know, start small uh, and, you know, doing these practices, um, attaching them to something you already do. For me, I wake up, make a coffee, do my meditation practice, take the dog out, get on with the day and my responsibilities. And so that's part of my routine now. So I think seeing as it less as a chore and more as a, this is part of how I can, you know, live a healthy, happy life. John, I want to ask you, just because it just popped into my head, because this has been an ongoing conversation I've been having with uh, people the last couple of days. Um, dealing with disappointment. A lot of our young adults, and my son included, uh, are having a lot of disappointment this year. For example, uh, his team, his lacrosse team played great. They had an incredible season. The way their conference was divvied up did not help them and yet they still had a winning major winning record they dropped one game all season yet it looks like they're not going to get to go to the tournament disappointment i can't begin to tell you what these boys are going through how are we going to manage the disappointment these kids are are going to be living with for the next couple years where certain things were taken away from them yeah I think the first thing, you know, I would say is what I would tell any parent, which is that it's our job to be there for our kids in different ways. Sometimes it's our job to be there to listen. We tend to think of mental illness or emotional distress as an adult issue. But really, we know even from birth, even in the uterus, the fetus and newborns have an emotional life. And so it's very important for us from the moment children are born all the way through they hopefully leave our home someday uh, to engage them in a dialogue about their emotions, how are they feeling, and make it a healthy part of relating to other human beings and let them know that, you know, disappointment is a part of life. That is, it, not all of us can say that we get everything we want all the time. And to help them see kind of as Eve said, that there are many things that if we practice them during the good times, like being a professional, uh, or I'm sorry, a, a uh, under, under professional athlete like your, like your son, those will translate into, during the difficult times, ways to cope, ways to ensure that our mind, that our emotions are feeling better than they would have. So actually team sports, both because of the social activity and the physical activity together are a wonderful way to buffer stress. And so I would encourage parents to find those practices, find those opportunities, find those things in the daily life of your kid, including having perhaps regular conversations, sharing how we feel. I'm disappointed about things. I don't hold that back from my children. I don't make it a, you know, about me, they're little, but 
I let them know, you know, they're unhappy they didn't get the toy they wanted or the other one stole it. <laughs> I said, okay, you know, daddy, daddy didn't get the fancy cars one day I thought I should get. <laughs> you know? it's, 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 the same, it's the same kind of thing, right? Yeah, and sure. As long sure. as we help our kids feel like it's okay to be disappointed, it's a part of life in general. And lastly, that there's hope. This too shall pass. I think, or, or I say the science is clear that toxic stress can be one damaging event, abuse, neglect, something ter terrible or terrifying, but it can also be little things that are consistent over time. It gnaws at the kid's brain by constantly revving up that fight or flight response, constantly telling that old lizard brain of ours, get going, something threatening is happening, get going, get going. And if kids experience any stress, whether it's disappointment, whether it's a bad grade, whether it's, you know, God forbid something happened to a classmate or a teacher in the last year, or someone is not the same, not relating the same way because that person might be suffering. All of it over time can have an effect. And so we as parents can be, and really we as members of society can be that buffer of toxic stress, safe, stable relationships are the consistent way to buffer against that toxicity of consistent disappointment. And if they know we're there and we're espousing hope, this too shall pass. One day you're going to feel a lot better. Remind them of that. They will do well. A lot of kids, a lot of people I know with younger kids, um, like yourself, and I don't know if your kids are going through this, have been experienced terrible anxiety about going back to school. And it's friend group changing. If people weren't necessarily in your bubble, it's, I, I mean, I have a number of friends and I know Sabrina can speak to this also with a number of her friends whose kids are literally melting down about the idea of going back. How do we ease, ease that? So the first thing is, you know, every child is different in their developmental stage. So it's very important to understand that what manifests more obviously as anxiety, perhaps in a mid-school age range child, you might not notice it in a younger kid. Anxiety often appears actually pretty young and start early kindergarten age, even younger. And often parents will say they were that kind of anxious, you know, kid worried about something and we didn't really see why. Um, and in teenagers, it, anxiety and depression can actually manage in completely different ways. Withdrawal, you know, anger, you know, things that we might not think that doesn't seem anxious to me or depressed, but it, but it can be. So we have to be mindful, very mindful of changes in behavior in our kids. We want to be able to call it out in a gentle way. I noticed that, not with judgment, just like we would with an adult. I noticed that this change has happened in, be in your behavior. We want to be able to empathize with our kids. I recognize how you feel, not brush it, suck it up. You know, that's how my dad used to tell me all the time. Suck it up. This is life, right? And my dad was a son of a Holocaust survivor, and that's how he was treated, even worse. So that's what he learned. That's what he thought was normal. We just suck it up. Today, we know that children will be a lot healthier and a lot more resilient when we acknowledge that they have distress, and we put into place some of these we call buffers of toxic stress. So us being that safe, stable relationship is one. Exercise, as we talked about, is another. Healthy sleep, if you have to go to sleep with Eve or Elmo on Headspace, you can do it, right? 
that nutrition. goes for adults too. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I, I have an Elmo with my kids, so that's an example. My kids love the Elmo medication for sleep. But, you know, nutrition, we, we sometimes think of nutrition as not treating our emotional health, but it actually is uh, a buffer of toxic stress. And then outdoors experiences have been shown to really help the brain reset from distress, as well as perhaps the last, but maybe shouldn't be the last option, mental health care. There are professionals that are what we call trauma-informed or trauma-specialized that are able to engage us as parents and our children in a healing process. And those are some of the services we offer at D.D. Hirsch. And if parents are concerned, they should look for trauma-specialized mental health professionals because ultimately you're not alone at this as a parent. It may feel that way in the moment, but if we stay calm, make sure we are centered, make sure we're being there for our children, and then seek the appropriate professional help, the kids will do well. Right. I mean, and I am luckily educated on this, but people do listen and they still, you know, you know, especially not in California or Los Angeles or New York, most of America still looks at things like meditation as very woo-woo. Um, <laughs> they look at mental health as, I mean, I think that's starting to shift. Eve, what are you finding? Because I think... My gut would be that your that Headspace would be getting a much larger demographic at this point, especially for meditation, which I think, and I'm just thinking of my son, if I said to him two years ago, you meditate, he'd be like, no, I don't. But he goes, no, he goes and he visualizes. How do you, what's going, do you think the demographic of meditators is really changing? Yes, I mean, I, I, I think it, it's sort of happening as, as there is a greater awareness growing around the importance of mental health. And it, it's, it's, gonna, it's going to be a, you know, a steady uh, movement. I don't think overnight we can expect everyone to just switch and be like, yes, meditation is what I should do. So that's why you know, it's really important that there is really clear and engaging education around uh, the benefits of of taking care of your mind and normalizing it, and and really, uh, you know, providing an invitation. Uh, and you know, John called this out. I think what's really helpful when talking about meditation and mindfulness is is trying to let go of any judgments, you know, any criticism to yourself that you might need some help. Um, but we've got a big job to do, honestly, in terms of. Um, of, of providing that education you know I when I first started meditating gosh over 10 years ago now you know my immediate response and okay this was 10 years ago and there was a lot less awareness around it a lot less science and research but my immediate response was no 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 I'm I'm good thanks uh, I don't need that weird thing the truth is I knew nothing about it I knew nothing about it and I cast this judgment that it wasn't for me knowing nothing about it. And I think that's that's what we've got to try and, and bridge is that a lot of those assumptions will come from a place of, I just don't know what this thing is. And, you know, I've heard it's maybe very religious or I've heard it's very spiritual. Um, you know, it can be all those things, but it's definitely not all of those things. Uh, and so I think our job at Headspace in particular is to help provide that education. And, you know, our mission is to improve the health and happiness of the world, not just people who might be able to access uh, and pay for a subscription. It's why we have partnerships like we do, um, you know, with Didi Hirsch. And uh, it's important that we're providing accessibility 
um, to people that may not have um, that those tools and services. We actually Headspace is actually available for free for all educators K through twelve. Uh, you know, it's and and also during the pandemic, we've made so many of our our, our, our services available for free um, because it is we don't want things like you know, a paywall to, to stop people from getting the help that they need. You know, I, I've kind of found that um, it's in my group is that people are more inclined for self-care. So they're more open to meditating and just knowing that it doesn't mean you need to, you know, have a mat with you and you got to go sit out somewhere. It's, it's, you have to really kind of be open and flexible. Like you said, you can't have that, that hardcore judgment of what your perception might be of, of a thing or a situation. And so I think because of the need for more, people are feeling like, okay, it's, it's okay for me to take care of myself. Uh, so I'm, I'm more engaged in a self-care practice, whatever that might be. Yeah, I, I would even, I would also add that it's not just those that were meditating that are encouraging others that's a big part of it kind of the word of mouth in our communities it's also becoming a lot more mainstream so i prescribe headspace as a doctor healthcare professionals by headspace serving and supporting healthcare professionals with their stress in the pandemic to be the heroes we saw on the front lines that actually then encourages us we tend to recommend what we do for ourselves for our patients and so I've prescribed headspace for kids, for families, for adults. You know, you can take out your prescription pad and write download headspace, et cetera. And it's very clear that the science, the data, as you've said, has caught up to show that this is uh, a form of a buffer of those. I mentioned mindfulness meditation, highly recommended by experts as a way to buffer the toxic stress that leads to mental illness or exacerbates mental illness, the toxic stress that leads to substance use or overdose, or even that leads to suicide. And if we think of it as a vaccination, right? We all went and got our vaccine. Headspace, meditation, mindfulness are the vaccine. And just like the vaccine, you know, folks like Andy and Eve have wonderfully made it accessible where you don't have to go become a Buddhist monk and spend years, people think, doing this. You can turn it on and do five minutes. That's less time than it took you to drive to Dodger Stadium to get your shot. Okay, I have an admission, which is, and I tell it, I have tried to meditate number of times. I'm going to go back and try Headspace again. I fail meditation time and time again. Okay, I so. She's too high-strung. She's a little high-strung. I'm not high-strung. That's not the word we use. (laughs) High-strung is different. High-strung means, like, I always think of it as, like, you know, a a Yorkshire Terrier. That's (laughs) high-strung. I find I can be, I'm tightly wound. Okay. Because I'm not high-strung. I'm not going to run screaming through something. No, I'm just saying your your thoughts. It's your thoughts. You're always racing and going. That's what I meant by that. I love this by, like, hello, kettle. You know, are you living in your glass house right now? Should I throw a stone? I would affectionately love to be called skillet, not kettle. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Crepe pen. (laughs) Go, you go, you go, you go find a rock to throw you through your glass house, Sabrina. But, 
I, but Sabrina's much better about self-care than I am. I'm terrible because my brain's like, you know, on a tread. I'm like a, I'm like a hamster on a treadmill, uh, a hamster on a wheel. So I, we can generally talk about, like, I have tried meditating and I fail meditation repeatedly. And, like, even this morning, I'm like, okay, I'm going to get up. I'm going to close my eyes. I'm going to clear my mind. I'm going to concentrate on my breathing. And all I wanted to do was put on the news. Is it just a lack of discipline? Is it that I just have one of those brains that's tweaking all the time? Eve, please help me. John's like, great. This is a this is a board member who's like <laughs> whose brain is 90% out of control. Do you mind if I ask you a question? Oh, go right ahead. So what makes you think you fail at meditation? Because I'm the person that meditates and I open one eye, even like at yoga class, I won't take yoga classes or wouldn't take them where like you have to like breathe in and out. Like, you know, I when you sit there at the end with your eyes closed, I'm the one that always opens one eye and looks around. <laughs> That's me. So but it sounds like you actually have a lot of curiosity and awareness around that I do. What, how you're how you're feeling. So uh, I think that's that's a really good thing. I would say you're not failing at all. You know, uh, often when when we do a practice like meditation, there can be some expectation around how we should feel. You know, I'm sitting down to meditate. I should be feeling calm and centered and my mind should feel clear. Unfortunately, our mind doesn't often work in that way. Uh, and, you know, meditation isn't actually about clearing the mind uh, it's um, kind of the opposite actually we're actually learning to sit with the mind however it is and you know for you who perhaps has a very busy active mind you know you're a busy lady there's lots going on in, in your life it's only natural apparently that I'm high strung we're gonna get back to that <laughs> later like that. <laughs> <laughs> it's only natural that, that that will it's only natural that that will show up when you sit sit to meditate and actually it sounds like you're noticing a lot and that's really part of the practice it, even if you have to bring your mind back, whether it's you're using the breath as an object of focus or whether it's physical sensation or a sound, really the skill building is the noticing, oh, I'm distracted, letting it go, coming back without that judgment, without that criticism. So I would, I would encourage, you know, have some trust. You're not doing anything wrong. Patience. You know, acceptance, you know, part of the practice is, is really in letting go of those expectations that we have that it should be a certain way or I should feel a certain way. Uh, and, uh, and you know, just showing up is a really important part of it. So you're not failing. Uh, uh, and even if the mind is very busy, you're still training the mind. Okay, this is a really stupid question. And, and it, I, it just dawned on me. I am very... I'm one of those people, like, I have my morning routine and I have my nighttime routine. I have my way of doing things in the shower. And, like, if I get thrown off my, like, order, like, it fries me. But is my routine actually my version of meditating? Does that make any sense? Like, I have to wash, I do, like... I have my morning routine. I have to do things in a specific order. When I get ready for bed at night, I do things in a specific order. You know, is that, and it calms me. So is that sort of a 
John's nodding yes because he's just hopeful that I don't crack wide. <laughs> no, I know. I'm, um, <laughs> I have a I have a scientific perspective on this, but I've not been trained by a monk, so yeah. No, <laughs> is there something that is? I know it's like something that's calming, but could could one who possibly isn't the ready to you know be able to sit still? I'll help it, you. Can you look at that? She'll just tie me down. Don't listen to her. She keeps a freaking straight jacket and a muzzle in the office. She's laughing because it's true. It is a designer, uh, you know, straight jacket and muzzle. So it's all good. I don't mind. It's just accessories. But is that sort of a step towards meditating? John, is that something that is routine like that? Very important for our mental health. Yes. And I would say, I don't know if there's data that that's a precursor to meditation, but we do know that the most common form of mindfulness and meditation is actually prayer. And the thing about prayer is it is just the same thing over and over again. It has a set time. Every religion has a you know, morning, a- afternoon, evening, Sunday, Saturday, depends. And so Interestingly, while they don't think of this per se in every religion as mindfulness and meditation, all religions have some version of this. So it's amazing that humans evolved to take on religion in mass, although some of that demographic is changing. Uh, And so a big part of it is to show up, as Eve said. And if you have a routine where you show up every day at a certain time doing something, you are showing up and in your mind, it sounds like it's coming because you kind of know next step, next step, next step. And that's a feature of at least my experience of mindfulness and meditation or my experience as a religious Jew. When I pray, I know what's coming next. And when I know what's coming next, I know what's a part of it. And to me, that sounds like a really good foundation. If you could just get part of the step to be maybe a five minute breathing exercise or something you probably could recommend better uh that might <laughs> actually, just going like hopeless. that might give you your intro i love that uh, my watch during the day reminds me stand up breathe it's that little moment that that's as easy as it can be it doesn't have to be you know this huge thought out plan of attack you know it's just something very simple yeah so- i hit dismiss so uh one last or a couple last questions um John, specifically for you, and I just want to discuss this because so much of what I do is suicide prevention advocacy. Can you share with our listeners what is going on with 988, the huge strides Dee Dee Hirsch is making, and how people can start to lobby for that in their states? Sure thing. And we're going to talk a little bit about this uh, at the Mental Health is Health Experience, where, as I said, we'll be honoring Headspace, Selena Gomez, B.B. Rexa and, and others who are really mobilizing for this type of legislation. But and the date and the date, the of date our thank mental you, health. May 26th. Thank you for the reminder. May 26th, streaming live online. People can go to ddhirsch.org backslash 2021. Uh, that's the Mental Health is Health experience. It's free registration for all. So this can really reach the masses and will include mindfulness meditation and other well-being tips. And if you donate a lot, you get a really good <laughs> gift basket. That's I true. helped organize the gift baskets. They're that's good. True. It's it's a great gift basket that's focused on encouraging both mental and physical health and the connections therein. Yoga mats from Aloe, whole bunch of other things. And so we're we're thrilled about this experience. And part of it is to help people really feel that part of suicide prevention, 
part of overdose prevention is recognizing that the mind and body are interconnected. And so uh, there will be a bit of a discussion about how anyone can really help, and we're working on that right now. But essentially, as you alluded to, the federal government passed a bill to transition the 1-800-273-TALK or 1-800-273-8255 number to a simple three-digit number to remember, like 911. It's called 988. And this is coming to every community across America, July 2022. And so we basically have between now and then to prepare for what we believe is a tenfold increase. There are roughly about 40 million Americans right now suffering from a mental health or suicidal crisis by most estimations. And we, as 180 crisis centers across the country, and Dede Hirsch is the largest and the first, we are serving about only 4 million. And so we're working very hard with our state to put forth legislation that can kind of mirror the federal legislation uh, and are hopeful that the Biden administration and this Congress will also support both in the FCC and the technical stuff happening for that to work out, but really with funding as well. We're going to be speaking to members of Congress soon uh, with the National Council of Behavioral Health and others. And so it's critical that we all support our policymakers, speak to your Congress members, speak to your state legislator, because healthcare and the way we pay for things is usually done at the state level with federal support. And Dede Hirsch is leading that charge in California, really planning for significant amount of people who need help in a mental health or suicidal crisis once 988 unrolls. But today you can still call, chat, text 1-800-273-TALK or 1-800-273-8255. And we have people standing by 24-7 every day of the week in Spanish and English. And we can get other languages as well. So we're proud. Uh, to be the nation's leading crisis center in that regard and and proud to leave, lead the charge for universal access to this type of support. And also, like I said, universal uh, helping with insurance companies and the states paying for mental health, mm-hmm. uh, looking into whole health, thrilled to have Headspace as one of our partners this year in uh, our big campaign and fight for the 988 line. You know, get involved. How can people find... Headspace for those of the for those of you who don't know at this point what it is. This is like our third podcast talking about Headspace. But in <laughs> case you did not write it down the first time, Eve, tell us how we can find everything Headspace. Certainly. So the best place to start is to download the free Headspace app available, uh, you know, on the the, the app stores. Um, but also, you know, if you are a Netflix user, um, you'll see both the Headspace Guide to Meditation and the Headspace Guide to Sleep. And we also have uh, an amazing amount of free resources on YouTube, our Headspace YouTube channel. Um, we've actually just done a series called Headspace Breathers, which is um, with our uh, kids and mindfulness expert, Sam Snowden. So there's some really, really useful tools for kids and parents there as well and look out for more resources coming very soon uh in the classroom uh and to support kids uh, you know as they go back to school john here's your chance to do a commercial for dd hirsch well you know dd hirsch has been really a national leader in whole person mental health care erasing stigma and suicide prevention in the united states for now 80 years and now on our 25th anniversary of erasing stigma and honoring those who've come out of the shadows, we'd be honored to have all of your listeners join us on May 26th at ddhirsch.org backslash 2021. You can register for free 
and really learn about the mind-body connection that you can learn on Headspace. Headspace will be helping us to give you that experience and learn what you can do, how you can further engage in the policy realm or even something as simple as asking your doctor the next time you have a visit, how is my mind affecting my body? Simple things like that. We're all consumers of healthcare can make a huge difference. And we're honored at Didi Hirsch to be leading a movement where mental health is health, is how everyone hopefully feels and how healthcare finally learns to treat mental health as equal to physical health. Guys, thank you so much. You know, one of my one of my big things in life is working on mental health and suicide prevention, having experienced both in my family and Eve Lewis, John Goldfinger. It's been a pleasure. <laughs>